0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 325, Profit Motive.
2: Mission Log, a Roddenberry
0: Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, then we dive deep into that episode, taking it apart for ideas and ideals, and see whether the production holds up today.
2: This week, the moment we've all been waiting for, the inevitable wordplay that comes when aliens called prophets meet a race driven by profit. Deep Space Nine gives us prophet Motive.
0: Almost like we ordained it. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us.
2: Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is MissionLog at Roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered Documents, is at MissionLogPodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. You know, uh, we write the intro to the show, and this part here, we just kind of like, you know, wing it. Mm-hmm. I am so wishing that we had written a series of rhyming things for right here. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, see, this is yeah. Wallace
2: Sean's third time here. Yeah. and uh sean sean i hate for this transition to be a yawn Ugh. it's really the best i could do on like like no. that kind of notice unfortunately because uh yeah i don't know if you'll talk about the fact that he was Venzini or if we already have but but you've got tons of other what am i doing horning in you've got trivia <laughs> stuff to talk about john please why, why don't why don't you do that
0: Trivia for this week's episode, Profit Motive. The original idea for the story is from William N. Stape. Now, he doesn't actually get a credit here, though he did contribute some story material that was used. Uh, It's kind of like he did for the TNG episode Homeward, though he did get an end credit on that show. Uh, those are his only two professional entertainment credits, though he is a writer by trade. And in fact, he wrote a book called Star Trek Sex, which, uh, well, you you might be able to imagine what that is about. So the story credit and teleplay credit here goes to Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Again, two veteran DS9 writer producers really taking the helm on this one. Uh, and we actually owe a good deal of the character story here to Ira. As he was recycling one of his old scripts, he had written a spec script for the TV series Taxi. You know it, of course, starring Judd Hirsch, Danny DeVito, Mary Lou Henner, Andy Kaufman. Okay, so the Danny DeVito character, Louis, was, uh, one might say, uh, a bit of a lech. And in Ira's script, we were going to meet Louis' uncle, who was just as bad, if not worse, uh, in fact, idolized by Louis because of that. Uh, but the uncle had seen the error in his ways and cleaned up his act, much to Louis' horror. Uh, the script was never bought, but the idea stuck in Ira's mind, and here he got to use a similar premise for the Ferengi.
2: Not bad. Can I do something really quickly? Sure. Just to save you from getting the emails, Christopher Lloyd was also a regular on taxi. Christopher Lloyd, who, of course, was in Star Trek Three. The one
0: <laughs> without the whales. The one without the whales, of course. Christopher Lloyd uh, and of course Tony Danza. Uh, I mean, look, Taxi had everybody. Uh, to this day, Christopher Lloyd's uh, the Reverend Jem has one of my favorite just one-liner jokes, where he's literally he's on a payphone with somebody. He gets distracted. They're they're talking to each other about something important, and then you just into the receiver. He goes, "Are you anywhere near a phone?" <laughs>
2: That's good. It's so good. See, the one that I remember. Of course, everybody remembers Uh the yellow light thing. My favorite one was uh, half a million people at Woodstock. Without me, there would have only been (laughs) (laughs) 499,999.
0: Oh, that show was so good. Yeah. Today's episode is directed by René Auburgenois. Yes, Odo himself. Now, we know that Star Trek has been very accommodating to actors who want to learn the ropes directing. This actually wasn't Rene's first directing gig. Uh, He had done so before on two episodes of Marblehead Manor, a short-lived comedy on NBC, also produced by Paramount. So Rene had the interest and the opportunity to helm a much bigger show with this than he had before. And honestly, he found it all a bit overwhelming. Directing was not his true calling, as it turned out, since there's a lot of decisions to be made and attention needed. It didn't stop him, though. Uh, this might be his first DS9, but he actually goes on to direct seven more episodes. Now, as usual, our friend Terry J. Erdman's book, The Deep Space Nine Companion, uh, has some terrific behind-the-scenes notes. There is a technical detail here that I love, in which Renee and the director of photography, Jonathan West, wanted to recreate the same style when shooting the wormhole aliens, just like we saw in the pilot episode, Emissary. They were able to do that by messing with the exposure, uh, but they took it a step further by shooting the same scenes in focus and out of focus and then layering the two shots together to give us that dreamy, otherworldly look. Let's talk about guest stars. Now, Ken, of course, we had already talked about uh, the biggest returning guest star here, Wally Sean playing Grand Negus Zach, and then you got Tiny Ron as Mayhard Du. Uh, Ken, this is your opportunity to uh, to give a reference to Wally Sean, uh, do a funny voice, uh, whatever you like, because we're just going to move on from here.
2: Uh, I'm okay, I'll, although I will say I'm hoping because so far he's back yeah, like once a season. I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that uh, season four's appearance, well, whichever one, one of them just needs to be my dinner with Zach.
0: (laughs) That would be awesome. I'd I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, in this episode, we also get to meet Emmy, played by Juliana Donald, a different character, but we did see Juliana before in the TNG episode, A Matter of Perspective, and she later did a voice in that Borg computer game that I still don't know how to play to this day. Uh, You may recall that she was one of the star humans, though, in The Muppets Take Manhattan, among her many other roles. And then... I kid you not, there is a role credited here as Medical Big Shot, played by Bennett Guillory. uh Now, this may be a pretty small role in the context of the episode, but Bennett has had a long career and some interesting credits to his name. He's done everything from sitcoms to soap operas and other sci-fi, including Babylon 5 and voice work for the Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2 video game. His background, though is primarily in live theater, in which he has been an actor, a producer, and a director. In the early 1970s, Bennett and his best friend Danny Glover formed the Roby Theater Company, named after Paul Robeson, a fascinating figure in entertainment and political history. As of our recording, Bennett and Danny Glover are working on a documentary about their theater called The Robeson Effect.
1: Make way. Make way. For the Grand Nagus. He is in a good mood. Feeling generous. He is humming. Something is terribly wrong.
2: Prologue. Quark's finally about to get rid of those self-sealing stem bolts he's had hanging around since Season 1, compliments of the No-Jay Consortium. He'll let him go for 10 bars of gold-pressed latinum and a bit of Umox. And if you don't know what that is, ask your folks. Deal making in playtime interrupted by Rom, who brings news of an important arrival. Grand Nagus Zek is moving into Quark's quarters on Deep Space Nine. Act 1. Dr. Bashir gets a call from Commander Sisko come see me. When he arrives, why, there's no trouble. It's a gathering in Bashir's honor. The Federation Medical Council has announced the nominees of this year's Carrington Award, and Bashir is one of the final five. Dax nominated him. So, how does it feel to be the youngest Carrington nominee ever? It feels... good. As in... goodbye. Um, goodbye. Julian downs his glass of champagne and takes off. Catching up with him later, Dax is a bit bothered. Why isn't Julian excited? He says he is, though he knows he's not going to win. The Carrington is sort of a lifetime achievement award. He's far too young to win it. Nominate him in 70 years, then he might have a shot. With the Grand Nagus Zek in Quark's quarters, Quark is bunking with Nog. There is a lot he doesn't like about it. Having to share the mess of Rom's place without Nog there to clean up. Seeing all the things Rom has stolen from Quark. Yeah, Rom's not happy either. Quark's always thinking and mumbling. That does it. Quark will march right to his quarters and demand them back from Zek. Then again, Zek likes Quark, and he barely even knows Rom. So Quark throws Rom at Zek, who does know Rom. He's glad to see Rom. He invites him in for a chat, which Quark horns in on. Well, great! Zek's got something exciting to show them both. He's revised the rules of acquisition. Quark's excited. He and Rom will be the first to read them. The first to take advantage of the new rules. Rules like, if they want their money back, give it to them? It's then that they notice Zek's servant, Mehardu, is crying. Act 2. Rule number 21. Never place profit before friendship. Rule 22. Latinum tarnishes, but... Family is forever. Number 23, money can never replace dignity. Told by Quark to skip to the end, Rom reads rule 285, a good deed is its own reward. Quark's not feeling so good. He's also confused. Hey, maybe the book is a test, a code, part of a plot to take control of the quadrant. Rom thinks the Nagus might be sick, but no, Quark knows that this has to be part of a bigger plan. When the Nagus is ready, he'll let them in on it. Until then, they just need to be cool. Later, Zek stops by Quark's bar. He buys the house around. Making bar patrons happy will make Zek happy. He's also stopped with his favorite beetle snuff. Cruel to beetles, you know. And he just met the woman to whom Quark was selling the stem bolts. Zek told her where she could get a better deal. Quark wanders off, leaving Rom to lament his brother's bad fortune. He tells Zek that he's confused, which Zek understands. It'll take some time to get used to the new ways. The two go off together, and when Quark sees Rom later, he tells Quark that he is now standing in the sector headquarters for the Ferengi Benevolent Association. Act 3. Oh, and Rom is the Ferengi Benevolent Association's senior administrator. The Nagus likes Rom because Rom's malleable. Zek will mold Rom into a new Ferengi, an evolved Ferengi. It's time for the Ferengi to evolve beyond greed, according to the Nagus. Greed is dead. That's the tenth rule of acquisition, according to Rom. And eh, the new ones. It replaced greed is eternal. Yeah, Zek is sick. That's where Quark has landed. So they take him to Dr. Bashir, who can find nothing wrong with the Nagus. Zek is fine. He gave Bashir a bar of gold-pressed latinum for his trouble. Uh, Julian wouldn't take it at first, though he agrees to donate it to charity on Zek's behalf. Oh, and Julian must come to DS9's Bajoran Temple tomorrow. Zek is bestowing a gift. A surprise! He won't even tell Quark what it is. So Quark and Rom try breaking into Zek's private shuttle. But when Mayhardu catches them trying to break in... Oh, he helps them. Just lets them into the shuttle. And there's the gift, one of the missing Bajoran orbs of the Prophets. Act 4. Well, that explains it. The new rules, the new Zek. Quark's not sure how it explains it, but he's sure it does. Rom wants to break into the box to make sure it actually has an orb. Tussling with Rom over the box, it pops open, and Quark is face-to-face with... Zek? Yeah, Zek. In Quark's... In the box. Speaking in riddles. Showing Quark the book of the new rules, Zek says they're a gift. And this, Quark understands. The rules are not a gift from Zek to the Ferengi. They're a gift from the Prophet to Zek. Out of the vision state, Quark thinks the Prophets have changed Zek somehow. And sure enough, checking Zek's logs, he did go through the wormhole. He'd apparently planned to ask the aliens in the wormhole to tell him the future, so he could profit from the knowledge. Now Quark has a plan. He'll go to the wormhole and get the aliens there to put Zek back the way he was. I mean, they'll have to kidnap Zek, but with Mayhardu on their side, it's done. With Zek in a bag, Quark takes the Negus' shuttle and heads for the wormhole. Act 5 Unbound, Zek's not mad at Quark. He likes him too much... The Negus says he was in the wormhole before, met the Prophets, nice people, though they do like their privacy. If Quark wants to talk to them, Zek says he should open the box with the orb in it, and that does the trick. Back into a vision state he goes, where Quark encounters the Prophets, in the forms of Sisko and Rom and Dax and Mayhardu and other people he knows outside the wormhole. Quark's suspicions are confirmed. Zek wanted to know the future events so he could profit. But the wormhole aliens found that adversarial, invasive, threatening. Studying the Ferengi, the Prophets found that they weren't always about acquisition. They simply reverted Zek to a state natural to Ferengi of old. When Quark demands they change Zek back, the Prophets think he's becoming adversarial, invasive, threatening. Maybe they should change him, too. So Quark makes the case for profit. Greed for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Without the profit motive, people would get lazy. They'd lay around all day and do nothing. They'd stop eating and they'd die. Do you really want all life in the galaxy dead? The prophets don't buy it. They're bored with corporeal beings, especially Ferengi. Especially this Ferengi. They'll just evolve Quark to the same state as Zek and be done with the whole lot of them. But, says Quark, change me and more will follow to find out why I was changed, just as I followed to see why Zek was changed. If you really want nothing more to do with this, don't change me, change Zek back. And, just like that, Quark's out of the vision state and back on Zek's shuttle with a very angry Zek. A restored Zek, a Grand Nagus, well versed in the old rules of acquisition, looking for beetle snuff and ready to sell the orb to the Bajorans. Now, you may be wondering what's been going on with Bashir and his Carrington deal. He and O'Brien were playing darts at one point, with the engineer ribbing the doctor about who's going to win the Carrington, since it obviously won't be Julian. And mostly he was messing with the doctor to screw up his game. Odo bumps into Bashir with good news. He's heard from a friend of a friend of a cousin or something that one of the other four doctors is not going to win the Carrington. Doesn't mean Bashir will, but he's that much closer. Bashir says he didn't think he was going to win before, and he still doesn't now, though he does confess to Odo that he has been working on his acceptance speech. When he doesn't win, with everybody around him, Julian puts up a good front. Dax says he seems to be handling it well, though Julian assures Dax he is not. On his way off Deep Space Nine, Zek is assured by Quark that every copy of the new rules of acquisition has been destroyed. He also promises Zek that if anyone asks, he'll say he has no idea what happened to the charity money. Turns out, though, that Zek doesn't have any idea what happened to the charity money. As senior administrator of the Ferengi Benevolent Association, Rom skimmed enough profit for both he and Quark. The end.
0: Oh, man, Zuck in a bag. Zuck in a bag. It's,
2: it's not as cool as Zuck in a box.
0: No, but it's much more
2: environmentally
0: friendly. I it think. is. And, uh, and, and less prone to dirtiness. Yeah. 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 Better for you than second on a stick. Hey, I sure. got a question. Oh, you yeah. see?
2: But the thing is, you love stuff on a stick. So I do. I, I do. I could see you yeah. going for that. Yeah. Um, uh, those were the same self-sealing stem bolts from season one, weren't they, from the NoJ Consortium?
0: Well, they have to be, because it's, what, 100 gross? And I think that was exactly the amount uh, that the NoJ Consortium had traded.
2: Yeah, yeah. Quark's been sitting on those for uh, for two and a half seasons now.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. I hope that just by the time we get to the end of DS9, we'll actually get to see a self-sealing bolt. We'll get to see an action. We'll know what they're used for. There'll be a, a whole episode where we, we really get into the details.
2: Here, here's how I want DS9 to end. In fact, mm-hmm. this would have been a good launch for season eight for that documentary they made It uh, yes. just starts with uh with um with morn uh sitting on just a stack of those boxes <laughs> yeah on some planet someplace and like, yes. hey, and from there will he build his empire you know using his incredible uh, uh, skills of oration.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's a great one. And so not only do we have those, but we also have reference to the reverse ratcheting routing planers, which yeah. is great. Because now they're just having fun with words. And uh, I, I love that. And it just maybe me think, it says sprocket, not socket. That's, that's for you, Ken. And that's for the eight people in our audience who will get that.
2: Remind me, were, were those plumbers listening to today's show?
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah um hey is uh, it, if we were to make it to the 24th century mm-hmm. um would we automatically get a mute manservant because uh, i'm wondering if that's just a common thing in the future
2: you see here's the thing i think you're, you're bumping up with uh, one of the uh, one of the hardships of production one of the realities of mm-hmm. tv production it is as they say in rule of acquisition 135 uh, spend money on sets not on extras Oh, yeah, I'm guessing that's it. Although yeah. I do have a question, actually. And do you know this? Mm-hmm. Did you come across this in your trivia? In the, you know, sort of part where where Cork uh, is actually talking to the wormholians Mehardu mm-hmm. opens his mouth and speaks, but it's not Mehardu. It's one of the prophets. Is yeah. that tiny Ron? Or did they dub in somebody else's voice?
0: Uh, I'm told that is Tiny Ron. Really, right? my understanding is that that is Tiny Ron. So they had so, to pay
2: him money. Then why didn't they, they have he, him talk this series, this, <laughs> well, this episode?
0: Was, yeah, but I guess that was that was a thing that ah, he doesn't talk. Really? Yeah.
2: It's, so yeah. why didn't Mister Hom... H- H- Mister Hum, Mister Hum? H- 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 Mr. <laughs> huh? why, why didn't <laughs> right. why didn't Waxana's uh, um, uh, manservant talk? Then you're saying this I, is uh, just a thing in the 24th century.
0: That's uh, what I'm saying. I'm saying that you know, just uh, tall guys in the 24th century. Because in the uh, 23rd you know,
2: century, they could talk, right? Because Lurch was talking during uh, what our little girls made up, wasn't he? Oh wait, he did. Yeah, I didn't believe they? he did. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. too long since we watched that, Maybe we have to go, go back, back and, and watch it again. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, we have some food here. Well, we have a drink. We have a few drinks, but the one that I wanted to point out was millipede juice. Hold the shells. Sounds terrible. Looks like lemonade, though.
2: Sounds terrible. But, you know, with the shells, it's a thousand times worse.
0: Oh, OK. It's pulpy. It's pulpy. Shelly. I wondered if they had that on uh, on the menu at uh, Star Trek The Experience. Like, I have a menu around here somewhere, I think. Mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that was on it, you know. I was saying this whole thing about uh, Bashir being the nominee for the Carrington Award. Of course, he should be a nominee and he should probably win. Don't all those people back at Starfleet know that he brought a dead guy back to life? Did anybody read that report or do they just sort of, you know, rush that one under the carpet?
2: Well, I mean, here's the thing though when he says, Quark, if you don't get out of here, I'll perform more tests on you. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that he was actually going to win the Carrington Award until the people back at Starfleet Medical read that report.
0: They <laughs> saw that. <laughs>
2: like, oh, he's he, he's threatening uh, somebody on the station with yeah. unnecessary medical procedures. <laughs> he's not ready. He's not ready for no. the Carrington. I don't think. No. Yeah. That's
0: why it's a lifetime of work. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering when uh, the Grand Nagus moved in to Quark's, uh, Quark's quarters, not Quark's bar. Uh, why did Quark have to move in with Rom? Why is it so hard to find quarters on DS Nine? They have tons of free space. Also, Quark's got Hollow Suites. He could literally just have a recreation of his own quarters in the Hollow Suite, or it could be a Hilton or whatever he wants.
2: Well, we've talked about that before. You can't. You can't use the Hollow Suite for that. Because any anytime that somebody's using the Hollow Suite for free, somebody's not making money on the Hollow Suite.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: But yeah, I don't understand. I mean, there's a whole habitat ring. Why? Right. Why? I mean, and 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 they're big because you you've seen, like, if the middle of DS Nine was hollowed out, you could fly two uh, Enterprise yeah. Ds side by side through it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole ring around that that's full of like places for people to stay and there's only 300 people living on deep space nine you'd think they could have found him another room or fine he gets the cherry quarters that are you know quarks and then quark just gets some other room although yeah well, well we'll come back to that honestly that that scene with um that scene with rom uh is great It is great. We can come back to that later. But, I mean, that's the real reason, of course, that he had to bunk with his brother so that we could get that camera time.
0: Uh, Of course. A total odd couple moment. Yeah. Um, When, uh, speaking of the odd couple, when uh, O'Brien and Bashir are playing darts, a very important question. Does this qualify as space darts? I mean, because the darts are pretty conventional. The board is pretty conventional. But it's got lights and a little beep. And I, I need to... Think about it more. I need to really consider it. Uh, I, I'm not sure if just the addition of lights and a little beep actually take you all the way from darts to space darts.
2: See, I was wondering, and we actually know people that we could ask, I suppose. I was wondering about the mechanics of that whole thing because, I mm. mean, unless unless both um, um, Alexander Sedig and mm. and Colmini uh, are excellent at darts, yeah, if they play darts like I play darts, there's almost no telling where that's going to hit the board. Exactly. And yet, you know, they would hit 12 and 12 would light up. And then they hit nine and nine would light up. And I was trying to figure out, is that like an actual thing that I could buy someplace that would do that automatically? Or is there somebody sitting over on the side, you know, uh, like, oh, oh, they hit a 12. I need to really quickly hit 12. Or, you know, are they just both really good at darts? Yeah, I wondered that, too. It it was um... because they did manage to hit the board and miss. Mm hmm. Which is which is almost as difficult, I think, as hitting the board and hitting, yeah, like, you know because yeah. it didn't like hit, go into the side and stick there, Lord knows, I had a dartboard that had a million of those, oh yeah, uh, they were able to bounce it out the side, or were there professional dart players there
0: i I think maybe that's what you have to do. you have to bring in a pro, bring yeah, in a ringer, and do a cut, yeah, yeah, exactly right. and, and can we just talk here at the end about the awards? Ceremony because the the reveal that it just it cracks me up like I, I knew we had to get to a point where we find out who won and I was pretty sure from the beginning that Bashir would not win but when we actually do the reveal and there's so many people in the wardroom and and it's literally just a guy with a gray background on a monitor and there's no build up just the nominees are and the winner is and. Like, who would be tuned into that? There's a broadcast on the subspace, everywhere. There's no band. There's no comedian. There's no shots of the audience. Um, There's no acceptance speech. There's no acceptance speech. It's so thoroughly contrived as the most boiled down way possible to convey this on TV. Um, And it really made me sad that there there was no Rob Lowe singing Proud Mary with Snow White.
1: When they set up the Ferengi Benevolent Association, where did all of those Ferengi come from? There seemed to be 47 of them or something. Normally, we see between two and four Ferengi at a time. Where are they hiding? Is
0: there something really unethical hear about changing an aspect of a person because that, that's what the wormhole aliens do they're just like we don't like you zack the way that you are we're going to reprogram you to make you quote unquote better now th- this is a questionable thing in a clockwork orange uh for those of you who have read the book and or seen the movie uh it was definitely tragic in uh, a story like one flew over the cuckoo's nest like this one's problematic let's change them Mm -hmm. Um, so here it's played for laughs uh, but the wormhole aliens literally change Zek into someone who is not Zek and they are perfectly content to do that again with Quark given the opportunity and maybe just all the Ferengi maybe uh, Quark when he said you know more Ferengi will follow me because they'll be trying to figure out what happened and the wormhole aliens can be like yep we'll change them too keep keep sending them this way we'll just uh, we'll just keep going
2: yeah so, if you're actually asking if there's something unethical about it, I, I think we're probably going to go with yes.
0: Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. yeah. I don't think there's a. Well, I assume I, you never can tell with Star Trek, though. I assume that you know nobody's going to get to the end of this and go, well, maybe the wormholeians were onto something. <laughs> Okay, especially because they were actually doing it, I mean it was really it 's really interesting because you 're talking about how selfish the Ferengi are and how much you know the wormhole aliens want to change them right, but mm-hmm. they only want to change them so the Ferengi will leave them alone i mean yeah. that, that really is the reason they think about changing quark like you could make the case that they decided to do that with Zek because Zek was unethical, you know they found him aggressive and all those things I said during the recap. Right. But then like Quark is there and and there's like, ah, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored with him. Let's change him like the other one and, and then we'll be done with them. And yeah. it's only saying, no, 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 We will keep annoying you that Quark is like, because um, I don't understand how Quark can assure them that that's it, that these are the only two because they're the only two smart enough to say, oh, well, so those things know the future. I'd like to know the future. We had somebody mm-hmm. on, uh, on Twitter going into this episode actually saying um, that Zach tried to pull a Biff Tannin
0: oh yeah it was a good way of putting it
2: yeah, yeah and I was like yeah. oh yeah he does doesn't he for people who don't know Biff was the bad guy from Back to the Future 2 who finds out that Marty McFly and uh, and Doc Brown have access to a time machine so Biff goes uh, what back into back into the past right mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. off camera I think this happens a little bit in Back to the Future 2 and takes a younger version of himself all of the results of all of the different uh, all the different sports things that happen and of course immediately blinks out of existence Yeah. No, he doesn't, but he should have, if that was going to be the way that worked, but whatever. (laughs) Anyway, he basically knows everything that's going to happen. He's able to profit off it, which is the whole reason that uh, Zach went into the wormhole.
0: Yeah, he's got the sports almanac, and uh, he can show his younger self how to be rich and successful. Yes. Yeah. um, Yeah. So I, I don't know. we look at the wormhole aliens, go okay. Well, this is a defensive measure, but uh, but they they literally just reprogram a person, yeah. uh, who has autonomy uh, to to be something something else.
2: Yeah. You know? Well, it's fine, John, because it's just funny comedy jokes.
0: It is yeah. funny comedy jokes. Um, but I, I did find it interesting, though, that and shouldn't be surprising, but here. Star Trek is equating values like equality and altruism and charity with advanced enlightenment. You know, the the wormhole aliens are these advanced, super advanced aliens who can see the past, present and future. And uh, when they change Zek for the quote unquote better In this case, better means that suddenly he he is awakened, he is enlightened, and he's like, yeah, we should be giving away uh, our riches and we shouldn't be swindling people. And so none of this should be a huge shock uh, when it comes to Star Trek or Star Trek's position. But uh, what I found interesting, though, is then I kind of wondered if the show, the episode here wants us to side with Quark. In his plea for capitalism, like, I, I was really glad that you quoted Gordon Gecko in your recap. Greed yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, because, yes, part of it is the uh, simply negotiating with the wormhole aliens. Look, leave us alone because, well, first of all, you'll, you'll wipe out life. Uh, OK, maybe, maybe not. But the wormhole aliens, again, they can see everything. You know, uh, they know the past, present and the future. Um, and but he's making this impassioned plea, basically explaining saying, like, yeah, you know, uh, if everybody has everything they need, they're just going to get fat and lazy and we can't have that. We have to have this uh, profit driven society to be anything uh, decent to to actually grow and progress beyond who we are. Um, so I just, I, I kind of wondered for a moment, like, is the show actually, do the writers of the show hope that we will side with Quark in this argument? I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, all that altruism sounds good, but Quark sounds like he's really onto something better.
2: All right. You just, you just like, uh, gave me five things that I wanted to address. <laughs> okay. And I, and I don't ahead. even know that I'll remember all of them. All right. Um, I'll go all the way back to your first thing about the wormhole aliens. I don't, they're not necessarily super advanced. I mean, you can say, well, they can see the past, present and future. And so they're so enlightened but they 're willing to completely wreck somebody 's head just because they 're tired of talking to them, right? I mean mm-hmm. their ability to see the past, present, and future isn 't necessarily that they attain some sort of enlightenment. It could actually be a a problem it could be a condition under which they suffer or from which they suffer right they 're just not just, they just don 't experience time in a linear way and i 'm not mm-hmm. saying. That it isn't necessarily a bad thing or that they suffer from some sort of condition. I'm saying to assume that they're you know, enlightened just because they happen to experience time differently isn't necessarily you know, the case. I mean, witness the fact that they are really completely petty. They just want Quark out of their hair is why they're going to change him. Not because he's bad, just because he's annoying. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, as far as what you're saying about did the writers want us to side with Quark? There are two things that leap to mind there. Mm-hmm. One is um, um, Iris Steven Baron, Ronald D. Moore are on the record as saying that they thought the utopia stuff was crap mm. they 're on the record as saying that, so sure they may well want you to think that, and the other thing is in sort of the same way that you uh you said, um, I was watching Quark, and I was like, "This is the Kirk speech, but like you know drawn out. this is the Kirk speech, an exaggerated Kirk speech on this side of paradise." we always used to joke when we were watching TOS. If, if you ain't working, you ain't living. Is right. is pretty much yeah. you know Kirk's feeling, and that is the the case that uh, that Quark makes in this episode as well. Now I don't know if Quark actually believes it. He does, I think, because he's Ferengi. But he is also at that point just trying to figure out what's going to get everything back the way he wants it to be. Um, one of the wormhole aliens does say, um, your argument is specious. All all life will not be or all corporeal life uh will not mm-hmm. be erased uh if we don't change Zach. So yeah. I don't know that Quark believes it as much as he says he believes it. He's trying to say what he, you know, thinks will get the aliens to do what he wants. But I think Quark does believe it to an extent. I mean, he does subscribe to the Gordon Gecko, uh, Gordon Gecko philosophy. I would imagine. I,
0: I, I think he's totally bought into it. Yeah. Yeah. He absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, I, part of the thing in this episode, though, is that it it made me want to see this actually play out. So I, I'd like to actually see the episode where the political, social revolutionary tries to change Ferengi society. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't know that the, it, it, put yourself into Irish shoes or Robert Hewitt Wool shoes or Renee's or whomever, and I, I don't know that you can very easily in the middle of a run of a show like DS9 go, you know what, we're going to completely upend everything that we've established about the Ferengi, and uh, we're going to do it starting with Zach uh, all the way down. Um First of all, you you then create a huge point of conflict, uh, which I think would be a detriment to DS9 because we have these other interesting threads to follow. You and I both love uh, what they've done with the Cardassians. We haven't yet gotten fully into what's happening with the Dominion. So this would be like a, a whole other thing to follow if they had actually done it. Um, but it's a little bit of the reset button here. Like you create this intriguing idea where you go, well, the the most capitalist of all the capitalists, Zek, who would lie, cheat, and steal his way just to make a profit, and he is looked up to by all other Ferengi. We're going to completely change him out. Um, I I sort of want to see what would happen if you didn't get to reset that. And uh, like I said, I I don't know if just maybe – The show felt like it didn't have the confidence to do that or if it would have been too radical an idea. But I I think back to uh, some of our conversations about the Klingons, where the Klingons back themselves into this corner where they're being incredibly unethical and dishonorable in order to maintain the the veneer of honor. Mm -hmm. And you're the one who said, yeah, well, at that point, just burn it down you know if if that's what we're protecting if, we, if we're protecting this cracked system um not, not that the freegate is totally cracked because uh, look they are doing okay they're doing fine but i i sort of i don't know it, my my curiosity was really struck with this say um what what if midstream you just decided to reinvent the leader of of this uh, this group that we think we know everything about and forces a guy like Quark or a guy like Rom to face a new reality doesn't mean that they would necessarily change, but they'd have to deal with it. They'd have to do some self examination.
2: So, do you think the problem is that they didn't want to change Ferengi society entirely, or do you think the problem is because my suspicion is it's a bit more like Watsana? You can do some really big, really important stuff with that character, but they're almost never going to. Half a life is the one time that I can think of where they really did something. Although some people do say uh, the one where we find out that Deanna had a sister that she didn't know about. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of that episode. Some people say that one was, you know, kind of a big, important episode for Loxana. I sort of felt like it was a melodrama. I I felt like what they actually said and did with her in Half a Life uh, was was fairly incredible. And the rest of the time, they treated Waxana like a like a comedic character. And so you yeah. almost never get a good, like, meaty episode with Waxana. And I kind of feel like they're doing the same thing with Zack. This is only the third time we've seen them. And I think the first time he was actually a really interesting character, this whole thing, you know, with his son and saying mm-hmm. that Quark was actually well-positioned. Uh, you know, to to, to to know everything that's going on and to really profit from it. Quark was not a loser at all. Quark was actually, you know, had his finger on the pulse. Um, mostly, though, they seem to treat, I mean, they they bring Wallace Shawn in. They put the, you know, goofy old Frankie makeup on him. They make him do an even weirder voice than Wallace Shawn has. Yep. And 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 that's what he's going to be. I, I almost felt like like sucker punched or fooled in this episode because there were a few ways that I thought they were going to go. It's interesting to me that you thought that, you know, yeah, talk about upending Frankie society. I thought it was going to be that Zach was losing his marbles. I thought it was going to be mm. that Zach was getting old and he was either sick or, or he was just losing his mental faculties. And at some point he was going to have to term, come to terms with that or they were going to have to come to terms with that. And what do you yeah. do at that point? Can you imagine, John, if a great power suddenly had a lunatic running the whole thing? And what? then you've got to, and then Come you've on. actually got to worry about you've actually got to worry about, OK, what happens to to the system of governance when it turns out the guy at the top of it's like, you know, uh, Looney Tunes or what right. happens to a yeah. system of governance when, you know, it it turns out he's just thrown it all over, you know, for no better reason than and his capricious nature i mean there are any number of things that could have been serious things that i really thought at a number of times that's where we're going with this episode we're mm. not
0: <laughs> yeah well fortunately everything you're describing is is purely science fiction yeah um but yeah it yeah, can't
2: it, happen here
0: yeah right but that's just the thing i i, I thought how interesting to Give Quark this crisis of faith, mm-hmm. right? That everything that he believes in, everything that he has structured his life around and his adherence to the, the rules of acquisition is taken out from under him. Uh, and then you have to go forward and well, Quark is Quark and maybe he's still that same kind of shady guy, but he's also trying to adapt to what's happening back on the Ferengi homeworld with, uh, with the new Zek. Uh, but we we get a reset here at the end. Um, Hey, before we move on to our final wrap-up, just one little bit here. I was going to do this whole long, complicated thing about the Dr. Bashir story and... You know, the pursuit of uh, accolades, or or in this case, the non pursuit of accolades, the non expectation of accolades uh, from your peers, and uh, how that might mess with your ability to be professional. Uh, But I'm just going to say the Dr. Bashir storyline is garbage. Uh, And then we can come back to that in the wrap up if you like.
1: The worst part about all of those extra Therangi, to keep Zek secret, each and every one of them will have to be killed.
2: Profit Motive, John. The episode is called Profit Motive. We haven't
0: talked about the titles of these shows in a while. No, we haven't, because uh, most of them have been very uh, clear, like, one-word titles, you know, like, Destiny. Okay, I think we're, we're all on board with that. Right. Um, this one, though, Profit Motive, a little bit of a play on words.
2: Yeah, because cause, uh, cause, uh, Zach's motive uh, for the stuff that he did was to meet the Prophets, and that was, of course, so he could gain knowledge from which he could Profit.
0: You see, oh, I like what you did there well, it wasn't
2: yeah. me, it wasn't me <laughs> man that was that was uh that was other minds uh different than mine mm-hmm. uh profit motive is the name of the episode john uh this is the part of the show where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings if there are any and uh and decide whether the episode decide for ourselves because we can't decide for everyone. Right. But decide for ourselves whether the episode holds up today. And, and you know, we usually start with that question, and I will now. Uh, profit motive, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned, sir?
0: Well, it has to be a no from me. Okay. And, and it's you know, not because there's a lack of talent like, the the writers can write, the actors can act. This is all very clear. Um, And René Auberginois can direct, and and they did some cool technical things in this episode. But the problem is the the structure of this episode, that split um, between the A plot and the distant distant B plot, uh, it makes the episode feel dated and clunky. Uh, So it just doesn't come together as a production that that's the unfortunate thing here like we've had episodes of star trek where we said well you know the show holds up because it's well made it's well produced it's entertaining or it's funny or whatever even if there's not a strong message um or we've had episodes that we feel like um maybe have something important to say but it doesn't feel like it holds up just because it, it's it, in this case uh, dated sloppy the pacing isn't there and really i have no investment in what's happening in the other storylines i i have no investment in what's happening in the Bashir storyline at all now given this uh, there are many places in the episode where it's funny there are many places in the episode that are entertaining um I think just uh, the Bashir storyline bothers me way more than it should, okay. <laughs> but it just does. I can't get away from it. Um, and, and I'm also having a big problem trying to reconcile any of the messages here, if they exist at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't say that this episode holds up. It, it, it is a series of moments that are tied together with some plot pieces, uh, but it doesn't work Uh, As a totality. Uh, How about you?
2: Well, it's interesting to me that the Bashir storyline bothers you so much. I mean, the only reason, well, there are a couple of reasons it bothers me, but not enough to ruin the episode. Um, I think the first reason it bothers me is because he he wasn't after it. So, like, Mm -hmm. he's there. He is happy doing his work, right? He has Mm -hmm. become um, very sufferable in that we called him insufferable for the first season, maybe first season and a half. Julian's a good character. Now he is a good mm-hmm. character. He's a strong character. He's not nearly annoying as annoying as he was. Um, he matured quite a bit as a character and as a, as a person in that universe, uh, season one, he would have been bugging Dax to submit his name and he would have been bothering everybody about, well, why don't you think I'm going to win? You know, all that stuff. And he's a, he's a mature yeah. character here. And so that's kind of neat to see. Um, That part I thought was really cool. Uh, What bothers me about it, though, is he wasn't looking for it. Then it's thrust upon him. Then everybody's giving him grief about the fact that he's not going to win. And then he doesn't win. And everybody's just, like, gone. I mean, it it felt like like, um, mind games with one of your characters. It felt like a tiny bit of torture with one of your characters. Which, you know, is kind of a bummer. But at least it does show that he's matured a bit. I will say... And I mentioned it earlier, uh, the scene in Rom's quarters between he and Quark um, is, is, is surprisingly good. We get such little hits of, of Max as Rom so far, right? He might be in like half a scene and he's, he's comedic. He's like, he's like Chico Marx, but not as funny. Right. (laughs) And, and the thing is when he gets more time, he can be more subtle. And that was actually great to see. So you said, well, the acting is always good. I want to call him out specifically because I thought there was, I mean, it's still sort of like, you know, broad comedy. It's still, you know, like, like a bad Abbott and Costello sometimes, mm-hmm. but there are so many different ways to play those scenes. And I felt like he played them a lot in a lot of different ways. So that was kind of great it, it, to see his character be more of a character and less of a prop. That was neat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the rest of it's just not nothing. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and I want to be clear that it, what you mentioned about Bashir, I, I think is a redeeming quality mm-hmm. here. My problem with the Bashir storyline is not Bashir, right? He's, he's good in this. The handling of that storyline is awful. <laughs> it's It's really just so bad. He's the best part of it. Uh, but, but building up this thing that ultimately is just nothing at the end and everybody around him acting kind of terrible, (laughs) like, yeah, I, I get it that with your best friend, there can be some good natured ribbing and trying to throw each other off their game. Like that, that there is some truth in that, but when you compound that with everybody else, uh, it, it, Yeah. It just should not have been in there
2: yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, any 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 lessons? Any messages?
0: Well, that's the thing. I was trying to figure out, is there something from the Bashir storyline? And, and I think really not. Uh, it, but as a character thing, he's behaving now as he should have, which is to say he's got some humility. And he's not getting his hopes up, or at least he's not showing it. Cute that he's writing his acceptance speech. This is everyone else around him acting weird and unprofessional. Um, is there a lesson from the Quark story? Well, uh, hmm. I, I I wish that there were, but unfortunately, it's just a reset. We We start to explore this really radical idea. What would happen if... You have this revolutionary idea that changes the structure, uh, the core belief of the society. Uh, but then we go, Oh no, he's, he's sick and we can fix him. So we're going to fix him. Let's go back to where we were. Uh, so there, there were some missed opportunities for ideas to explore here, which is too bad. Um, Anything that I'm missing? Anything that you pulled out of this?
2: No, I'm pretty much the same place that you were on it. I mean, I was really, it, it, again, like I said, last segment, so why repeat it? But I'm going to anyway, because you asked me to say something. Um, the fact, I mean, <laughs> you thought they were going to go to, wow, what if you completely upend the society? I thought they were going to deal with, you know, somebody who was in their prime, especially because Quark has such reverence for Zach. That was the one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Zach can't be sick, there's nothing wrong with Zek. There must be something wrong with everything else. Because Zek is Zek, you know? And then once we find out that Zek is sick, I really thought we were going to have to deal with that. But, I mean, the way they're going to deal with it is, you know, we're, we're going to fix it. And then they fix it, and now everything is just the way it was before, and there's no memory of it. And, uh, and no, they seem to, like, actually plant their flag firmly in the ground of, nope. No learning here, no message, no moral. Uh, We're just, we're right back to where we started. Uh, It's almost like you didn't even have to watch the episode.
0: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at the Roddenberry Podcast Network. That's podcast.roddenberry.com. Well, over there, you will find not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam! Shabam! If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, well, that would be awfully kind of you, and you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log... Visionary.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. What would have been great is if Zach had sought to redecorate Quark's bar. Then, the episode could have been titled Profit, Motif, and Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com
0: The Roddenberry Podcast Network.